0: Now, Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. We are speaking with the one and only uh, Albert Bouchard or Bouchard. I guess you say in English, right? But we, in French, we say Albert Bouchard. Can, can we be French yeah, that, for you? That's fine.
1: I I can't speak French, unfortunately, except for when I'm in France. Then I then I <laughs> kind of it forces me to go back in my memory to what little French I know.
0: Yeah. We are discussing the album uh, Imaginos, uh, Bombs Over Journey, uh, Germany, minus zero and uh, counting. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour Albert or Albert, as we would say in Montreal. How are you?
1: Um, très bien. Très bien. Merci. So
0: we are, yeah, so we're, we're going to discuss this. Now, this is part of the of the trilogy that was started, I guess, back in the 80s, right? This is album number two?
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: So, so let, let's go back. Uh, your, your, I guess, manager at the time, Sandy uh, Perlman, had written these uh, series of poems that you ended up turning into, into an album. Uh, I, I guess the intent was to launch it as your solo career. Ta- talk to me about the, the, the beginning or the genesis of Imaginos.
1: Okay. So the very beginning started, uh, for me anyway, was, uh, in 1967 when I met Sandy Perlman right. and he told me the story or, he, you know, he told the whole group, you know, group of us. And, uh, at that point we knew him as a writer for crawdaddy magazine. So he said, well, I know all these people and, um, you know, I can, I can get you a record deal and all this other stuff. And, uh, and so we didn't realize that you know he he wasn't really a manager he was just a writer you know who had connections and he and he came from a uh not a wealthy family but a family that was pretty well off
0: And, and talk to me about finally working this into this album that came out in in 88 and 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 why you've decided in 2021 to sort of take up the mantle and say hey you know what we said it was going to be a trilogy. Now it's going to be a trilogy.
1: Right, uh, well that, okay, so while we were making the first record, and, and the other thing is that it was never supposed to be my solo record in the very beginning. It, he, wanted, he wanted Blue Oyster Cult to record this album. And they didn't really want to, you know, they, they liked some of the songs, but they didn't want to do a whole album of Sandy Proman songs. Especially after we had the hit, and we saw a disparity between the people—you know, the financial disparity between the people who wrote the songs and the people who played them. So right. uh, after Reaper, everybody wanted their own songs on the record. You know, so that was uh, that was another thing. And also, we started using other. Uh, I'm outdoors here, and it's raining. So. <laughs> Hey, it's raining here too. Hey, in
0: fact, can I just stop you there? I want to ask you about that because bands seem to have this fight all the time. It's been historically, you know, you've got the guy who wrote the song who's driving around the Lamborghini, and the guy who played drums on it has a beaten up old Honda. And you go, what the hell? I mean, you listen to uh, Aerosmith and Sweet Emotion. You hear the bass line from Tom Pete uh, Tom uh, Hamilton, I should say. Aren't those parts? as much of writing and making those songs great as the lyrics i mean shouldn't the drummer who came up with the fill and the crash at the right time isn't that part of the like it should be split among all members all the time it's it's
1: yeah that's actually uh i think that that's changing now right. because uh uh in the united states we have this thing called sound exchange and right. sound exchange splits the money evenly between all the players on the record i you know i was there i i saw tom hamilton working out the part i mean i was sitting there sitting right. with him in the in the lounge at the record plant while he was he was working his ass off trying to get this right you know right. and i was Hey, man, that's a great bass line. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't quite got it yet, but it's going to be great.
0: Right. And, and it's as important to that song as any of the words that were thrown out by Steven
1: Tyler, if you ask oh, me. Oh, yeah. yeah. More, more important. Really, <laughs> yeah. except for the hook. The hook was great, you know, and that of was course. Steve. you know. Well, actually, it wasn't Steven. It was Joe Perry, who, yeah. when they were watching Young Frankenstein, they had the idea to have a, that as the title, so...
0: Yes, but I, but I see with Blue Oyster Cult, "Don't Fear the Reaper" uh, becomes a hit, and everybody's going, "Hey, I didn't get my percentage," and now
1: fighting starts. Right. And right. It, yeah, it, I, it, it seems dumb to me. No I, offense. I, <laughs> well, I I was the main writer on most of the songs. I mean, from the very beginning of the of the band, you right. know, I I didn't write Reaper, but you know when I was writing all these songs, I was like, you know, guys, we shouldn't be arguing about whose song and and who did what and all of this other stuff. Let's just do it like the doors and split everything equally. Yeah. And I was the only one that wanted to do that. Nobody else, you know, and as a main songwriter, you would think that, you know, that, uh, they would be for it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, I, you know, but then, you know, when, then all of a sudden it seemed like you know that 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 they weren't trying to do they were more out for themselves than than out for the group you know and i thought that, that was that was a bad thing so yeah i think that what's the way that things are going now i think is the way it should be that that anybody who plays on a on a record should get part of that writing credit but you know i've worked for many years with uh this guy Mark Barkin, who wrote, he had sixty top forty hits in right. uh, in, uh, in, this, in the in the fifties and sixties. You know, he started writing, and he wrote for Elvis and and all these people. And he would he would get furious when I would uh, suggest that he's like, no, the song, you know, you can't, you know, just because somebody played on it, they can't get credit for writing it. You know, so so then what happened was that. The writers' year started getting smaller and smaller all the time. So I, you know, I would say, "Well, I just got a check for, you know, forty thousand dollars," and they go, "Oh man, I got a check for 400 <laughs> You know, so I got
0: a check for four I, bucks the other day. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, anyway, I mean, uh, you can debate it forever and always. Yes, if you just sort of show up and and are told, "Hey, play this guitar part." you're not a writer but if you're like a, like a, you know a, a tom hamilton you're coming up with a you know do 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 you know whatever anyway yeah. um, so talk to me about wanting to finish this trilogy because i mean we're we are revisiting this let's do the math here 30 uh, 33 years 38 years later or something i don't, I don't even know what it is my Three, math is terrible yeah, 33 i think
1: 30
0: yeah so so talk to me about saying hey you know what we said we'd make a trilogy i know it's 30 years late let's do it let's finish yeah
1: that I have to say that that uh, extremely personal you know because I think that while I you know at first I think I was bowing to pressure from the fans. they were like you really should you know if you can't remix the original you know record which I really wanted to do and I had offered to do several times to Columbia and uh, they kind of stonewalled me about it so uh and I express that to the fans and, you know, some of these fans that would write to me. And uh, we say, well, you should do your own version. So I was thinking about doing that. But the other factor in that, is that and and that was really, it was just going to be one record. But then as I started working on it, I started thinking about Sandy Perlman and, you know, how important he was to me as a friend number one and number two was a manager and number three is a co-writer co-producer so uh and and the and the bottom line is that when he had his accident in san francisco Mm -hmm. i was working in the the high school then and so um it was hard for me to leave but he was in a coma and so Robert Duncan the writer was the person who was taking care of uh Sandy you know he would go to visit him in the hospital talk to the doctors and make you know sort through the maze of the you know the health care that we have in this country right and uh and so Robert was doing all of this work and I said Robert if Sandy comes out of the coma let me know because I want to go and talk to him you know I, I and so he did come out of the coma in February of uh, 2016. So I went to the hospital and he couldn't talk, but I ended up talking to him for hours and hours for, for uh, the entire, you know, I would get there when visiting hours started and I would leave when visiting hours stopped. So it was about eight hours uh, for two days because it was on a weekend because I couldn't really take off from, from my job that that long. So, and also it was like, well, I don't know, (laughs) you know, you talk to somebody for eight hours and, and they can't reply, you know, you know, he would blink his eyes or, you know, he move his finger or his toe or something and, and, uh, and, uh, or, you know, or emotional reactions, you know, we cried, we cried a lot. So, um, but, uh, I sang songs to him. And one of the things that I said is, Sandy, you've got to get better because we have to finish the trilogy. I mean, you know, we said it was going to be a trilogy in the beginning. And then, you know, when we actually wrote songs for the, for the next chapter and, and, uh, and we had decided on songs that Blue Oyster Cult had done that would fit in there. And uh, so we, I need your help to finish this thing I, I'm going to do it because I have my own record company. I'm putting out my own records and I don't care if it sells or not. I just want to do it. And so, um, so when I was working on re I, I thought about that and I said, yes, I made a promise to this guy while he was dying, you know I mean? And how, you know, and I'm still alive, you know? So, I need to do this i need i need to do this for me and and for his memory and and for people to know that he was he was really ahead of his time you know he was extremely talented and and uh and uh, uh just a great storyteller so I felt like the story needed to be told that's right. Yeah. and
0: you're 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 getting it done now um let me yeah. ask you just real real quick about the players on this because I'm reading the, uh, the the liner notes here and it says features Ross the boss Joe Cirozino and then of course reunites original Blue Oyster Cult members Eric Bloom Buck Dharma Joe Bouchard and current member Richie Castellano uh yeah. talk to me about that about getting back with the with the old guys because there must have been some bad blood. I mean, we know that uh, you know it didn't it didn't play out the way it should have played out. You know, there was no happily ever after. But yeah. as you get older, you sort of go, oh, you know, f it. Let's just come on. Let's,
1: let's yeah. go short. That's pretty much it. You know, yeah. uh, it, <clears throat> really the turning point with Blue Oyster Cult, and you know, because I had made overtures to 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 get together and talk mm-hmm. about what happened, and and none of them wanted to talk about it except for except for buck Buck. you know buck came and we we sat down one night you know we went out to dinner and had a a bottle of wine or two and you know we went through everything we went through everything and 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 really the you know and what we came out with was you know we love each other and we were we were best friends for quite quite a number of years so you know you can't just toss that out the window you know just because you know there was a bad situation you know and and uh and and we both admitted we were culpable you know there was stuff that both you know of course if, if we acted differently it would have been a different result but you know you can't go back in time at least i don't know not no. it doesn't seem to be very popular <laughs> <laughs> at the so, area 51 disagrees with you no yeah, i'm kidding yeah. uh, so yeah so yeah so so that you know that was in 95 so it took a long time i mean you know the album came out in 88 i had made i uh started a lawsuit against them you know which we settled out of court and uh and so and that was in you know we settled the lawsuit in 89 So that was like six years later, finally, you know, I got somebody to talk to me about what happened. And, um, and then, you know, then I would go to their shows and it was always kind of weird, you know, I go backstage, but, you know, I'd be sitting, you know, or standing in the audience and the people in the audience would run up to me with stuff to sign, you know, and, you know, so they knew I was there, but the BOC guys didn't, didn't want to say anything or they i i don't know what it was i don't know exactly why and i had <clears> said to eric i said eric you should just give me a shout out or something you know i'm there you gave me a free pass you know just just say hey i want to shout out you know albert bouchard you know he's here tonight you know so uh you know but it, that didn't happen so in 2012 we had the the I think it's the 40th uh, anniversary of mm-hmm. agents and they did a they uh, they uh they did a special show in new york city in in the fall right after hurricane sandy and uh th- they had called me up and they called joe up and said you know can you can you join us for this the show you know and play a couple songs and i said uh i said sure you know i i got a gig that night but uh you know i'll just tell the guy you know it's not my gig it's you know this other guy steve marshall who uh wanted me to play with him and i said we'll ju- i'll just make sure that they take a break and i can run you know it's right it was about three blocks away you know in times square so i said i'll have them take a break and i'll come over and i'll play with you guys you know and then we can practice in the afternoon so that was cool and joe was like i can't do it i'm i'm playing on the simple man cruise with leonard skinner so he couldn't come so i said okay well it'll just be the four of us i guess and then hurricane sandy came steve marshall's show got canceled joe came back from you know joe did his gig and they rescheduled it for the following weekend and so joe could do it too so uh we practiced in the afternoon we played a few few songs you know with the five of us and which was a total mind-blower actually the whole night was a mind-blower because uh they had this thing where you got the exclusive package and you got to take a picture with the band you know so you come backstage and and they they you know they would take a picture and then you'd get out of here you know we wouldn't sign anything there was no signatures no signatures at the show yep so then all of a sudden steve shank the manager comes up and he says okay we got a break we've got an exception to the rule this is jack douglas's gold record for on your feet or on your knees oh, and wow. somebody owns it and they want you to sign it so we all signed it <clears throat> and as we're signing, we're going i said this is the best record we ever did and uh donald's like i think so too it's 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 the most amazing you know it, to this day it sounds like bizarre and and uh, furious and and just relentless it's, it's just the most amazing record so yeah and uh so we all agreed you know that this was the best record you know which kind of turned it into a weird thing because then uh after that, I, I, you know, I'm friends with Jack, so I, I said, how would you like to produce the new Blue Coop record, which he did. You know, so, it, well, he, he mixed it and co-produced it with us. So. But anyway, back to the, back to the show. So we played, and when the five of us were on stage, it was weird. It was like not a day had passed. It sounded exactly like we always sounded. You know, and even the people in the audience were like, you know, later on, they would say, you know, when you guys, when you five guys played, it sounded exactly like it always sounded, you know, whereas when the new guys played, it still sounded like Blue Oyster Coke, but it was different somehow. So, yeah. so that was, you know, so that was a great thing. And then after that, I think about six months later, they played a show in New York and I went to just to say, hi, actually, no no not that it was the next summer it was less than a year from that show and i was on the golf course i was playing golf with my my brother and my cousin right and uh i get a call on the golf course and uh steve says uh can i got some some bad news and i said oh no what you know he said alan Lanier's has passed away i said oh no I said, well, we got to do something. We have to have some sort of tribute, you know, some sort of celebration of his, you know, his life and, and, uh, and you know, his friendship and all this. So he said, yeah, we got to do that. We get we're probably we'll do that. This was in August. We're going to do it next month. You know, I'll, I'm going to try and clear the schedule. So September came and went, you know, you know. The next year, two thousand, what was it, fourteen, came, and so they were playing a show in February, I think, in in New York City, and I went to the show. I said, "Guys, we got to, we've got to do this thing. It's it's dragging on, and you know, we don't want to. You know, we want to, we want to have this sort of like." tribute to our friend you know and they're like yes yes you, we got to do it but hey do you want to play with us tonight I'm like, what okay I mean I wasn't I was wearing the corniest clothes ever you know I came right from school so I was wearing my school clothes you know you know professor <laughs> <Shard>. <laughs> Prefer- you know so I, I looked like a real you know <laughs> real square up there with those rock stars you know but uh, so I played I sang a couple songs, I think with them, and I played drums on something I think I can't remember exactly what happened, but i I did the gig and uh, and then every time I've gone to see them, they have asked me to play with them, so which is kind of cool and of course, in two thousand and sixteen we did we finally played that tribute show with Alan, and then they took me on the road with them for uh, for uh, about a half a dozen gigs, and we did the uh, the video shoot in uh, in California with that uh, TV special, which was fantastic. Oh, that's it's, great. That was amazing. Yeah.
0: Hey, I, I want to ask you a couple of things. So you mentioned Jack Douglas, and and to me, having grown up in the '70s and '80s, you think of Cheap Trick, you think of Aerosmith, you, you know, Jack Douglas is superb. But I also grew up in the time of of White Snake and Iron Maiden, and so on. And so, forth. you've worked with both Martin Birch, Birch and Jack Douglas uh just talk to me quickly about them like what made them guys to you know you you've got Mutt lang Martin Birch, uh, Bob Ezrin, Jack Douglas, Bob Rock. I mean those are sort of the five you know uh, Mount Rushmore guys if you want of producing. What made yeah. them special? And I know I know Mount Rushmore is four people but
1: well, wait. we're going, for, we're going for it's five. It's- the guy that did queen um oh right Roy thomas baker Baker. you forgot him okay
0: so there's six of them there's there's six uh (laughs) six on our mount rushmore but
1: i I would i would agree with that all of those six were fantastic producers uh and i only work with two i i knew uh i i hung out with roy thomas baker on several occasions and uh i i don't know i think that they, you know, well, you have to be able to hear inside the song. You have to hear, and you have to be able to, to not only hear each instrument, but hear the whole too. And so, uh, I know that Jack Douglas and um, and uh, Martin Birch were both engineers first, so they really pre- uh, approach producing from a from a technical perspective i think that roy thomas baker was not so much right uh uh, he just had grand ideas uh, that and uh and and he was willing to work on something for just a ridiculous amount of time i think that that's the other thing is that and and both jack douglas and and uh martin birch would work on something for way longer than you would think it should take
0: sounds like the rain's picking up behind you there um let me just quickly ask you was there a a a big difference in their approach i mean does jack and martin sort of come in and say okay you go write the song and you come back to me in a week and do the or do do they sort of have a similar approach i mean is it distinct i mean when you talk about rick rubin everybody says well rick throws you in the studio and says, come up with some songs and call me back when you're ready. And, and, you know, Bob Ezrin is like, well, we need a, we need a, this sound and a, that sound and a piano and a keyboard and we need a underlying theme. And yeah, you know, does, does yeah, Martin Bob are...
1: Ezrin, yeah Bob Ezrin is much more like a musician. Right. Approach. I think that, uh, that both, uh, Jack and Martin were, uh, uh, from engineering standpoint and not so much, you know, all the little parts and stuff, but how, you know, how, how to, it's almost like, you know, a real artist will look at negative space. Right. and So those guys would look at like the, the negative space in the, and the soundscape. Right. And I think that, that was, that was their, you know, that they painted with sound, you know, rather than. You know, trying to figure out riffs or coming up with lyrics or anything like that, you know, whereas uh, Ezrin, Ezrin would do everything, you know, yeah. I know I, I never worked with him, but, you know, playing with Dennis Dunaway, you know, you've heard the stories, <laughs> lots of stories, you know, about all the stuff and and even, you know, he's still working with Ezrin. So, you know, yeah. we get new stories from Ezra.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, this might be, uh, I don't know if this is rude to say, but I've always thought that Bob Ezrin made Bob Ezrin's solo records and then had Kiss play it and then had Alice Cooper play it and then had Pink Floyd play it. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't I've know if that, that
0: sounds rude, but you, you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I heard that Mutt Lang is like that too, that he can play all the parts and he he writes the stuff and he, he Mutt Lang will do the lyrics and everything, you know. I mean, and the backing he, vocals and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's, but, I mean, he's a yeah, genius. He's right? developed uh, genius techniques for, for creating. Listen, when a you've kid. got
0: uh, Foreigner for uh, Def Leppard, Hysteria, Pyromania, High and Dry, you've got uh, Back in Black, except, you know, Shania Twain, you know, Mutt can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't complain there. Um, you've, of course, been asked a gazillion times about Don't Fear the Reaper and the Cowbell, etc., 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 um, when you try to look it up, no credit is given to who does the cowbell. In fact, here, I'm going to do what I hate doing, but I'm going to quote Wikipedia for a second. And it says, the cowbell on Don't Fear the Reaper may have been played by Albert Bouchard, may have been played by David Lucas, or may have been played by Eric Bloom. Why don't we know?
1: Well, I think that, you know, memory has, uh, has can play tricks on you. You right. know, uh, for instance. But you're the uh, percussionist you're the drummer. Well, no, 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 but but here's the thing is that Okay. in most of the records, wherever there was a percussion part, especially a cowbell because Eric Bloom was very good at playing the cowbell. So <laughs> So That's Eric, it's a great you know, entry on a CV, by the way. <laughs> so so Eric Eric uh, played cowbell on a lot of other songs that we recorded right so it was logical that he would think that he did it you know correct now so you know and i think eric would would admit now that oh yeah yeah that's that's uh, the way it happened was that i wanted that david lucas had recorded a randy brecker playing you know this great trumpet part in the in the bridge in the middle section you know with the guitar solo, and we were like, "We don't need that trumpet there." Don Solo is fantastic, you know. Right. It's absolutely brilliant. Why are we trying to add some, you know, lonely bull on this thing? So, uh, so we we made him erase the track. So we had an open track. I said, "Listen, we got an open track. Let me play a triangle in there. Now that is going to add some." <laughs> That's going to add something that nobody is going to expect, right? And uh, they said, "Well, where do you want it?" And I said, "Well, it's going to go boom, 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 <laughs> boom." That's bom. great. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So right. it's there. It's there. You can hear it, right? And uh, and I kept saying, "Turn it up," but of course, it was on the same track as the cowbell because <laughs> David Lucas said. We, well, okay, we need I'll more let, triangle in the right channel. I'll, more triangle. <laughs> I'll let you do the triangle, but you got to play the cowbell on the verses. And I said, "What? Why? Why? It's yeah. Is this is the track not steady enough?" He goes, "No, there's just too much." And I want bump, bump, bump. I want like uh, quarter notes. Right. I'm like, okay, okay. I, I, I'll try it, you know. But I so I was already out in the studio. You know to do that triangle part that i was crazy about <laughs> and uh, so uh we tried a, a bunch of different things and uh and eventually and it was his cowbell i might add right. uh i believe it was a jcr uh five inch cha-cha cowbell right jcr was the like the uh Julius Rivera, he, he made the finest cowbells in New York. And, and David worked with a lot of Latin musicians, so he probably, they hit him to this cowbell. He doesn't have it anymore. He said, I don't know. I got rid of all my stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so, and David Lucas thought he had, uh, he, you know, we were, I was talking to him. I think we did like a zoom meeting or something recently, you know, maybe a year or so, two years ago at the most, no, no, there wasn't even zoom then. So it must've been, it was before the pandemic, but we were talking and he said, yeah, don't you, you know, you guys weren't even there when I did the cowbell. I, I I went in after, after you had gone and I, and I played it, you guys had all gone back to your houses. And I said, Oh, David, that is, that's Tenderloin. You played the cowbell on Tenderloin. Don't you remember? I came in and and you said, is this okay? And I said, it's not, it's not just okay. It's fantastic. It was a fantastic idea. You know, that's something that just worked, you know, where you went into the cowbell section and the, I guess it was, I don't (laughs) know. It was great. It was like, it, Plowed right through all of this uh, syncopation, and he goes, "Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah." Look at those two
0: trying to take your cowbell credit. That's terrible.
1: Well, <laughs> they weren't trying to. They they legitimately thought that they had done it. You know, and and they had done they had played cowbell, right? You know, David Lucas played cowbell on the on the record, but he didn't play on Reaper because, and. And the other thing is that after we decided, okay, this is the right sound, because I played it with a timpani mallet with a whole, you know, bunch of tape wrapped around it, so it sounded more like a woodblock or something. And uh, and then David Lucas said, "I want a wiero on there, so you can hear the wiero." Like that's hilarious. You know, it's I think it's before you go into the second verse, right. and then at the very end of the. Uh, end of the guitar solo donald plays a vibra slap you know that yeah those are great so so, and we did that all in one take top to bottom we said let's just do it we'll do it all on this one channel you know which is why i couldn't turn down the cowbell that much (laughs) because so (laughs) so the bottom line is
0: the the world-renowned cowbell that everybody knows is you and all the other cowbell that nobody really knows about is either Eric or David?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. All the uh, other cowbells, those guys.
0: It's all yeah. All the other <laughs> stuff that that just blends into the background. It's it's Eric. But uh, jokes aside, are you surprised at how much of a cultural phenomenon it's become? I mean, you look at movies, you look at Saturday Night Live, and they go, "You need more cowbell." And there's memes, you know, it needs more. Ca-. I mean, it's 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 become it's- culturally significant.
1: Yeah, it is a cultural phenomenon. Now it's crazy. Nineteen eighty right. or eighty three actually, while I was I was just starting to do Imaginos and I was trying to uh, I was trying to be the lead singer on all the songs <clears throat> and I was I was struggling with uh, holding out notes long enough or, or my pitch would, would waver. It was my pitch was not good. And the the musical director of my band, Tommy Morangello, uh, said, "You need to run. You need to build up your lungs, you know, so that they work better." So I he started me running. We ran together, you know. Uh, we would run before the sessions, and then I would try and sing, you know. But of course, I was still smoking cigarettes and doing all sorts of other stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. Right. But uh and so I continued running as a matter of fact in 1984 like about a year and a half later after I first started running I ran the New York City Marathon oh wow first time and uh so I've been running uh <clears throat> races for a long time I just did the la- just the New York City Marathon last week wow and uh now you see all these people playing cowbells i never saw that in the old days there was always <laughs> lots of spectators but nobody played a cowbell it's a and it's thing really ever. because of more cowbell and and this has become a big thing in the you go yes. to any road race you will see people playing cowbells to encourage the uh, runners you know to because it gets you know you're clapping like this your hands getting hurt you know you're you're shouting yay you know <laughs> noise, you know so the cowbell is the easy thing to make a lot of noise right. and uh, you know and make it seem like you know they're they're supporting you in your in your run Here, I'll,
0: so. I'll get off the cowbell after this did you after that get like record producer saying hey you know what we need a cowbell on this gotta call up albert bouchard he's he's the guy he's we need a good cowbell let's call albert
1: yeah that's as a matter of fact that just happened really last year while blue oyster coat was making that was me and they you know and i had told them listen you know you guys you need to, and this is to, to Richie and Danny and, and Jules. I said, you guys have been playing with BOC for decades. You need to put your stamp on the brand. You have earned it. You've earned. So you need to do this. So I said, you know, if if you want me to do anything, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I'm, you know, I'm not asking you, oh, you got to have me on the record or anything like that. You, this has got to be your record. And, you know, if you want songs, I'll, I'll help you with songs. If you want me to help you write a song or anything like that, I'm, I'm in. happy to do that. I'm in. So Richie, Richie Castellano calls him. up and says, hey, man, we've got this song and I need a cowbell. <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, is that it? He goes, no, no, no. Uh, why don't you, uh, you know, you and Eric always sound good, you know, when you harmonize because your voices are so different. So why don't you why don't you add some harmony to his uh, his vocal i said oh okay he said any uh anything else you want you know i said should i play a lead guitar he goes yeah
0: <laughs> i got I, well, mind me to bring the triangle i got my triangle
1: ready yeah yeah you, yeah so <laughs> and my i would block <laughs> i played like uh i don't know four or five parts i played some keyboards and uh, a bunch of percussion plus the cowbell plus the plus the vocals and uh and they only use the cowbell on on the record although there is a japanese edition it's an acoustic version of it and they use all my parts oh that's so. kind of cool yeah 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 it's cool
0: um before we before we wrap up you were on the 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 black sabbath black sabbath heaven and hell tour if i'm not mistaken right yeah with a boc Oh, yeah. Um, talk to me just quickly about that, because obviously they, they bring in Ronnie James Dio, who's just a, a powerhouse vocalist. Uh, the album ends up being, you know, bigger and better than anybody thought. You go, you can't replace Ozzy. Well, apparently you can. Uh, what was that like? Was, was Was there a sense of excitement on that tour? Was there a sense of dread? Was there a sense of Oh my god can we do this without aussie do, do you have any kind of memory of was it a fun tour or was it was it you know on pins and needles
1: uh it was a bit of everything i would have to say you right. know uh, when we first heard about it of course i was you know being a huge black sabbath fan right? and you know and um uh, you know uh the thing is i knew i didn't know vinnie vinnie a piece then but i did know ronnie deal because he was a legend in upstate new york and i i saw him play in watertown new york uh with ronnie deal and the prophets when i was in 10th grade i guess i would have been wow. 16, 16 and i said wow this guy you know he played the bass and he sang like tom jones he was amazing he had the most just like a depth of his voice it was so full you know and you know here we are doing our little beach boy covers and he's like you know singing like a man (laughs) we're singing like the boys so uh you know because we had a band all through high school and and even in in um you know before high school and junior high school so uh with my brother and my cousins. So we saw Ronnie Dio and he just knocked us out. And of course, then I kept running into him and you know, we'd play fraternity parties, you wow. know, a few years later and he's playing fraternity parties too. So we go, oh Ronnie Dio's over at Alpha Alpha Kai, you know. So we go over to Alpha Kai, you know, on a break and hear him for a few minutes and then go back. And uh and even when he when he joined Richie Blackmore they recorded in the same studio that uh here i gotta let the cat in
0: yeah let the cat in that's great and i've got to make sure that the uh the dog over here is uh,
1: satiated yeah uh, yeah he's getting tired of the rain he's he was sitting on the chair opposite me but the rain is in oh. this way, so it hasn't got. I can't to me even yet.
0: imagine. I've got a dog over here who's under blankets, and all I'm seeing is his tongue pop out every so often because yeah. he's, <laughs> he's looking to the air. So it's kind of strange. But uh, welcome to uh, Mitch's uh, Animal uh, Kingdom now uh, this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, that, that, I mean, what a great tour! And of course, uh Watertown, New York, not too far from me. That's where I go to the uh, what is it, Salmon uh, Salmon Run Mall or Salmon River Run Mall or whatever they call it. Oh well, yeah, it's there. a
1: big mall there. Yeah, I yeah. go there too are you still in watertown are you still in that area uh no but uh my i have two brothers that live in you know one lives in uh cape vincent which is you know the last the first town it's opposite wolf island so it's like right right opposite kingston basically gotcha
0: yeah it's strange because uh there's a bunch of shows there every summer. I, I've seen uh, in the last couple of years. Well, before the pandemic, I saw Foreigner there. I saw Lit with, with Buck Cherry. I saw Cheap Trick. It's, it's like this, like a weird yeah. sort of
1: yeah. happening but concert
0: they, place. You know?
1: Hey. it is a tourist trap, basically. That's yeah. the income of. Well, there's two. There's two main uh, income streams for the people uh-huh. there. Fort One Drum. Is, uh, well, okay, more than two, but the main one are cheese. At least when I was growing up, it was cheese and tourism, and uh, and Clayton, New York, which is really where I grew up, uh, was a big uh, it was a big stop for the people from New York City. There was a there was an express train that went right from Grand Central to uh, to Clayton, New York. Clayton was the end of the line. And it's right on the St. Lawrence so and clayton is basically opposite again Ganana- well yeah basically op- opposite again and aqua so yeah. you, know, you know where that is that's where the casino is
0: <laughs> yeah aquasas <Akwesasani laughs> and stuff yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: wait, wait, wait. So. so is clayton near messina or malone
1: uh that's more uh northeast actually gotcha uh, okay you know anyway. it, right down but right by lake ontario and so i have two brothers that live up there and then also my family has a cottage on wellesley island which is the second largest island in the thousand islands you know wolf island being the largest so. the largest
0: anyway let's uh b- before uh before we get into a deep geography lesson um <laughs> Blue Coop with uh, Dennis Dunaway and your brother, yeah. is, is that still a current thing? I mean, I know you, I know you do tours, yeah. but are, are we still working on new music? Are we still considering yes. albums? Cause I, I bought them. I have them.
1: Yeah. They're good. Yeah. That's we're, good stuff. We're working on a, like a, it's, I dunno, I guess it'd be like an odds and sods package because, uh, we've made three records and each record has had stuff left over. That we right. started to record, we went into the studio, we worked on it, and then we said, "Ah, we got enough stuff. Let's let's just go with these, you know, these other songs." And it 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 wasn't a matter of uh, were they better or worse. It was just a matter of they were just not as developed as the other right. songs. So we got a proposal from a, a record distribution company. They want to put out a deluxe deluxe package because we also have created three videos mm-hmm. that nobody's ever seen, you know, for, uh, for the 11 even record. Okay. So we put out one, but, uh, we have three more that we, we, uh, never put out because, well, basically the, the pandemic happened. We, we, we had planned a tour that summer and we had, a, a, a really, uh, great. What you would call an anchor gig in um, in Finland, so we were going to do a whole you know UK Scandinavia tour uh, in the in the summer last summer. Is it last summer? Yeah,
0: yeah. And of course, it didn't well, happen.
1: Yeah, not last summer. Twenty twenty summer of twenty twenty. So it didn't right. happen. And so we had been working on these videos, and we said, okay, we're just gonna wait until we can we can actually tour so we have a gig well we have a couple gigs uh up in you know uh that they're not solid yet but uh it's in there's a couple shows in Canada and one in upstate New York that uh we're working on for uh for this July so nice you know so uh, and but in the middle of all of that i'm playing with the dictators so i'm doing uh, uh ah, keeping busy with the dictators as well and uh in august uh, i think that the dictators are going to do some european shows so so that's you know i'm going to be busy this is definitely going to be a busy summer for me
0: good and we'll i like
1: have and i have gigs already lined up I'm playing with uh, Robert Gordon, my friend, for for like 40 years, and uh, we wrote about 40 songs 40 years ago. Well, maybe you know, over the course of two or three years, we wrote a bunch of songs with my friend, this top 40 guy, Mark Barkin, who unfortunately passed away from COVID last year. Oh. But, um, but so, and Robert, you know, when, when Mark passed, I, I called up Robert and I said, I got some bad news. And he said, Oh, is it Mark? I said, yeah. He goes, uh, I thought with this COVID that it might get him. Cause he, he's an older guy, you know, Robert and I are the same age. Right. And Mark Barkin was about, uh, 13 years older than us. So, uh, yeah, he, you know, Well, I'm not going to go into that. But anyway, we started talking and I said, uh, listen, we've got all these songs and you only recorded like two or three because I recorded more than that. I said, well, how many did you put out? He goes, "Uh, two. (laughs) I said, so you got these songs in the can. He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you know, he said, well, listen, can you help me with, uh, I have this new record called Rockabilly for Life that's out on cleopatra and nobody seems to know about it so and i don't like some of the mixes i want them to change it so so i i had already recorded a record for cleopatra with uh this guy don falcone uh, spirits burning it was a spirits burning featuring michael morcock and we did two records first one was on gonzo which was wow that was terrible because uh You know, I had, you know, people from BOC and, you know, my brother Joe and, you know, my whole, you know, Andy Chernoff from Dictators. I had all my people on this record. And so they put it out. They pressed up a thousand copies and it sold out within two weeks. Wow. They didn't press up another thousand for eight months because they had other records on their schedule i don't know they were underfinanced. i don't know bonzo is a english english label so that's so, why you go to
0: cleopatra brian pereira does great work
1: yeah yeah so cleopatra did a bang up job with this this yeah. michael moorcock thing they Brian's got great. There. there's plenty of, of cds to buy and you know and they they get it into the Apple Music and all that other stuff. Gonzo couldn't even do that. So, uh, so Robert w- had a record and he was, ups- you know, he was upset that it wasn't getting enough attention. So I called up uh, the people from Cleopatra that I knew, and uh, you know, and I helped him out, and they they definitely they got him out there now. So he 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 said, well, how about we put out all these old songs that I never released on Cleopatra. Can you help me do that? I said, sure. So we actually uh, went through all of the songs and I would say, well, this is kind of, there's just a rhythm guitar here. And he's like, yeah, but well, let me ask, you know, Chris Bedding played on all the songs. Right. He said, let me ask Chris. He's out in England. He's he's quarantining there, but uh, he's got a studio in his house. So, so then Chris and I and Robert, we started communicating. And uh, Chris actually put, you know, extra guitar parts on almost all the songs and it it sounds fantastic so that we just finished that so i've been playing uh gigs with him now you know i played four four shows in uh, october and uh and then yeah, four shows in October with him and we have uh, a few more in February. So, and plus, now I have also my Imaginos band that is playing the songs from Reimaginos and Imaginos 2. Mm-hmm. Plus plus, you know, I got to do, you know, the part one 3. That it, well, we're not going to play any part 3 songs, I don't think. Well, we we might actually because um because Sandy is not around to write all the songs. I know what I know the story, what, what's supposed to happen with the story. You know, uh, I'm not sure about the ending. He said, oh, we don't need an ending. I'm like, yes, you need an ending. It's like three, you know, but anyway, <laughs> one of the many arguments I had with Sandy about, about what to be done, but, uh, but I knew, you know, kind of the idea, so, uh, I'm probably going to use some other songs, BOC songs that fit, you know, in the concept of the story, and we'll just take it from there. So, but I don't know. I don't I, like. I say I just started uh, doing uh, demos for these songs. You know, I put them up on my computer, and I have. I don't know. I guess I got about 17, 18 songs to choose from. But we'll see.
0: We'll see. So yeah,
1: it's a lot of stuff I've been doing. You know, it's uh, it's pretty great. You know, I I was a teacher for. Uh, 31 years and all that time I kept putting out records and touring and stuff like that but it was I had a day job and I could really couldn't do much you know the other thing is that in those 31 years the first three years I was getting my bachelor's because I had dropped out of college to to be in Blue Oyster Cult so I had only two years of college were
0: you teaching in university or were you teaching in in high school and and was it like And and what were you teaching? Was uh, music or was it like history?
1: Uh, it's, it, it was it, it was everything. I did every job in the school, including uh, uh, yeah, every pedagogical job in the school. Right. Other than uh, foreign language, I didn't i was i was gonna what?
0: say the the french classes would have been hilarious with you oh, yeah, bon yeah. that's about <laughs> <Yeah>. it folks <laughs> we're bonjour. <done. laughs> bonjour we're done <laughs> see you in june yeah, uh, yeah where do
1: i get a hamburger around this place
0: <laughs> oh that's great uh listen uh imagine those two bombs over germany minus zero and counting is out came out on october 21st so go uh, go check that out and uh it sounds like we're going to have to talk again because there's a lot of stuff going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: let's to. let's let's do a part 2 and uh let's also uh, you know, let's uh, raise a toast to all the people in Watertown. It's a it's a great city. I love my Watertown. And uh there That's you go. Awesome yeah. As we say in uh, Montreal, merci beaucoup. Ah, yes.
1: Was, was that part of the
0: French class? <laughs> Au revoir. Have a good day. Thank you for everything. Absolute okay, pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye. There you go. Let me